0: Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. And you're listening to the Grok Science Show. That's right. It's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and the effects on our daily lives. Coming up on today's program, Caleb Scharf will join us to discuss the ascent of information. So stay tuned for all of this, plus the Grokatron 5000, and our world-famous question a week, coming right up here on the Grok's Science Show. Welcome back to the Grok's Science Show. Well, information. What is it exactly, and how do humans carry large amounts of information outside of ourselves? Joining us today to discuss this issue is Dr. Caleb Scharf. Dr. Scharf is the award-winning author of numerous popular books, including The Zoomable Universe, The Copernicus Complex, and Gravity's Engines. He's currently the director of the Columbia Astrobiology Center and has written numerous popular and scientific works. He has penned the new book, the Ascent of Information, Books, Bits, Genes, Machines, and Life's Unending Algorithm. Dr. Sharp, thank you so much for joining us today on the Grox Science Show.
1: Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: Well, it's certainly a fascinating book you've put together here, The Ascent of Information. You talk about this age of information and how we as humans are interacting with
1: it. Yes, it really began with a sort of simple observation or a simple realization. I was thinking about the nature of us, the nature of us as a technological civilization and asking something sort of unique about us. We, perhaps the only species that we know of, and I think it's pretty clear that we really are the only species that does this, we generate and use and propagate all of this information that's not encoded in our DNA. You know, it's not written in our genes, but we can inherit it, we can pass it on to other generations, we can share it. And, you know, and we've been doing that for a long time. And it's in our books, books, it's in our language, it's in the symbols we use to represent the language, it's in our flash drives, our cloud servers, all of the paraphernalia uh, surrounding that informational world. And there's a lot of it, right? We live in an era where the amount of data sluicing around the world seems to be growing exponentially. Our reliance on that data also seems to be growing significantly And so I I wanted to kind of dig into that because I'm an astrobiologist and so I'm interested in questions of the nature of life. What really is this phenomenon we call life and what might it look like not just here but elsewhere in the universe? And this seemed to me to be a piece of the puzzle that we hadn't really paid that much attention to. That We do this special thing and it clearly gives us a lot of advantages, but it's also kind of burdensome. And so that was really the entry point into writing the book. I wanted to investigate this externalized information, something that I ended up calling the data dataome, kind of like a genome or a microbiome, just to give it a label.
0: What do we actually mean when we talk about information and how do we define that?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. <laughs> the word information is tricky because common day colloquial use of the word you know, we think about, well, information, well, it means, you know, what am I going to have for breakfast or (laughs) anything like that? At a deeper level, people have been thinking about information as something that you can genuinely quantify in the world because information at its core is about sort of decisions and interactions. It's about yes or no, and it's about ones or zeros, but it's also about other things. And back in the, the middle of the 20th century A number of people got interested in this because they were trying to understand how to better develop uh, communications, human communication, so telecommunications. How do you transmit signals? How do you best structure those signals? How do you optimize things? How do you compress data? I mean, that was a novel kind of concept. Uh, We're kind of used to it now with our compression algorithms for our images and music and so on, but that had to be invented. And so, around the middle of the 20th century, a cohort of uh, computer scientists and mathematicians, including people like Claude Shannon, who's quite a famous name in this, began to treat information as a mathematical entity. And this was the beginnings of what's called information theory. It's a way of talking about the transmission of data. Doesn't have to be ones and zeros, but that's a kind of straightforward way to think about it. It could be other symbolic representations of of stuff, of information. And that was kind of a an entry point to all of this, to thinking about information not just as a a colloquial everyday thing, but as something a little bit deeper. And of course, nowadays we're very aware of how much space our files take up on our hard drives or our flash drives. And that that is also about the amount of information contained in that data. So you can shrink a data file if there's not that much information. If I take a picture of a blank screen, that has much less information than the picture of, say, the Mona Lisa. We kind of intuitively know that, but we can also now quantify that. Because we can see how much data compression we can apply to those two different images. When I talk about information, that's what I'm kind of talking about. It's, it's a thing. It's not unlike the way we characterize the rest of the world by talking about things like energy and mass and so on. Those are all qualities of the material world. They're the qualities of the structure of the world. Information is also a quality of the structure of matter and the flow of energy.
0: Of course, you mentioned Claude Shannon, one of the founders of information theory, Shannon entropy being one of the uh, hallmarks. And some people have drawn analogies between uh, information entropy and the thermodynamic entropy, the idea that life actually is, in a way, ordering the universe and that in itself is some sort of form of information.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, There's this really quite extraordinary, deep, apparent connection between. Information theory and those ideas of information and the thermodynamics of the world, the the arrangement and rearrangement of matter. Uh, so in thermodynamics, we talk about or well, statistical mechanics is our, our mathematical framework for handling that, and it's all about the the different arrangements that stuff can be in and the way in which it can jump between arrangements constantly, and so that's deeply connected to the idea of entropy and there's a connection there to information because you can think of information as almost a set of instructions for describing the arrangement of matter, the arrangement of atoms, molecules, whatever it is. It doesn't matter. It could be Lego blocks. And so there's there's a deep mathematical connection between understanding the arrangement of matter for thermodynamics and information that describes that arrangement. And so, yeah, so there is this, this extraordinary deep connection which suggests that you know just as entropy is something that the universe does information is also something that the universe does and we we certainly don't have all the pieces of that puzzle but somehow we're going to end up having to explain how we go from a universe with really no structure in it 13.8 billion years ago at the big bang to universe filled with structure and structure that is increasingly complex and of course biological life is a fantastic example of a highly structured matter perhaps has an informational basis and now we we've, we've been doing this to the world around us we've extended that into other other kinds of matter it's very very deep things going on here at least it seems that way Information in, in some sense might be considered living in its own
0: way. It sort of evolves, information change. What are those sorts of links between information as sort of a living entity?
1: Yeah, so obviously in the book, what I try to do is assemble a lot of different threats that I think all connect together to to lead to this kind of conclusion that you you were just describing. So the interesting thing is we can look at our external information, this thing I call the data ohm, And it kind of feels demanding. Uh, it certainly demands energy. It demands attention. Uh, it's also a central part of our existence. And for that alone, it starts to feel like it's a thing. But then you you step back for a moment and you look at how we understand biological life. And the interesting thing there is, as we've learned about genes and DNA and the molecular machinery, at the basis of of life on Earth as we know it, it looks increasingly like information being propagated in the world. And in fact, many people before, for example, Richard Dawkins, the, the evolutionary biologist, has has talked about it in this way. And he talks about the selfish gene, and the, that's really about propagation of information. And it's almost coincidental that that information is built in molecules that's built in you know nucleotides and and dna that's just a suitable support structure for this information that's the thing really behind the scenes that's driving all of this and so the fact that we already had a sort of informational view of biological life makes the the jump to say that well maybe that isn't so different than this other stuff and therefore that other stuff our informational world is a kind of life. It's just, if you have to step back far enough to see the deep roots, the deep roots are kind of the same. It's, it's about information. It's about information that encodes the processes to continue itself into the future. It's about those algorithms that are built into our genes. It's about the algorithms that are built into the world around us. In the case of our external information, the data, ohm, it seems to be that it requires us as much as we require it. And so it's kind of a symbiotic organism, which is okay because actually most life is symbiotic. I mean, in a sense, you can think about even genes in our, in our DNA. Those genes require the other genes around them to make a whole organism that can then sustain all of them into the future. So there's already a kind of deep symbiosis even between different segments of our DNA. Uh, so there's a sort of, there's a pattern here. <laughs> There's a pattern that is very, very suggestive that it can be continued into a non-biological world. And that isn't the same as saying for sure that we live with a, this other living system, but it's it's really suggestive that something like that is going on. Fundamentally,
0: information is driving change in the
1: universe. Life is just sort of a
0: special case of information being encoded in type of matter, and that it's information that's really flowing between different types of structures, either biological or in, in solid state drive.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, that that is what much of this points to. And other scientists have been thinking about this for a while. There are other people who have talked about, and I describe some of their work in my book, about the idea of a sort of informational basis for life. And in that case, then yes, you know, information is this other quality of the world that much like we use the term energy or mass to evaluate or express the quality of, of the structure of matter. Then information is another such quality. And then, yeah, perhaps life doesn't have to be built all the same way. And of course, Many people have speculated about that for a long time, but I think we've been kind of parochial in those speculations because it usually comes down to, well, can you make life out of silicon-based molecules, for example? That's a favorite science fiction trope. But that's kind of limiting things, and it's limiting things in the spatial and temporal nature. So our informational half, uh, this alternate living system, is, is more dispersed than we are. Our information. It's in many different forms. It can be instantiated in many different things and doesn't necessarily operate on the same kind of time scales as uh, terrestrial biology does. But it's, it's at work in the same way that, that life is. So yeah, I think this all points towards what is still an emerging understanding of some of these very, very complex phenomena. And life is one of the most complex phenomena we know of, if not the most complex in the universe, that Perhaps the secret source or the way to to fully understand that is through the lens of information. Is information then fundamental to the universe? Is it the first principle from which you can drive everything? Yeah, well, some some scientists have actually speculated that. The information is the underlying essence, if you will. Perhaps most famously, the physicist John Wheeler described what he called the participatory universe. And this has a basis in our understanding of quantum physics and quantum mechanics in as much as in the typical interpretation of what's happening at an atomic and subatomic level in the world is that things are really probabilistic and fuzzy, indetermined or ill-determined and in a state of superposition until there are interactions. When there are interactions, you suddenly manifest things like particles, like electrons or or protons and in that sense, it's the interaction of stuff with other stuff that gives rise to new things. And interaction is kind of like information exchange or information being generated. And so he talked about, he he used a, a beautiful phrase, he said, it from bit. Maybe this participatory universe is such that what we consider to be physical reality is actually a manifestation of an underlying set of information or informational interactions taking place. So it kind of stems from from quantum physics, but it says that, yeah, perhaps what matters makes the world the way it is. These interactions, these interactions are fundamentally about yes or no, right? They're always like little decisions taking place all the time. I mean, it's kind of head spinning and and it veers into almost philosophy. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's one of the, the ideas here.
0: What do you think then all implies in terms of deal with information, how we think of it, where can this ideas be applied?
1: Yeah, so talking about this in the book, that there is an enormous burden of our informational world on us. It. So it's an energetic burden. We see this in the amount of energy required to sustain our computing and our data storage systems, and it even goes into things like cryptocurrency, which uses an enormous amount of energy. And so there's a, there's a real, very real burden to our informational world that feeds back on us because our exploitation of energy is changing the planetary environment. So it's something we need to pay attention to. And if we don't understand who's pulling the strings, we might get things wrong. So if we continue to assume that it's all down to us, that may not lead us in quite the right direction. So it's possible that we have to incorporate this idea of the data to recognize that actually there's this thing pulling us, in another direction. Its interests are not necessarily aligned with our interests. So that's one important thing. But then on a perhaps an even more important level and a more personal level is that we all worry about the future for ourselves, for our families and for our our civilization. Where are we going? Are we heading to the apocalypse or, you know, is it going to be a, a brighter future? And so we need to make decisions about how we use technology, how we power that technology, and so on. But if we don't understand what we really are, then it seems to me there's a strong likelihood of getting those decisions wrong. And what I'm suggesting is that we aren't what we thought we were. We're not just human. We are human plus data owned. We're this symbiotic thing moving through time. And if we don't take that into account, and concern ourselves with in some ways the quality of the health of that data ohm, decisions may take us in the wrong direction. And information, you know, there's there's information that well, you know, contains more and less. There's different quality to information itself, different utility. And in the end, information is about assessing risk in the world. It's about making choices. It's about all of those decisions. And if you're not paying attention, Maybe you clutter things up too much. So in a very real sense, at a personal level, I, I feel that we should be more aware of our informational choices in the world. You know, do I really need to upload that picture of my latest lunch or you know my my favorite animal or or something? And do I really need to respond to the notifications on social me- media quite as much? Because every time I do that, I'm adding to the burden. On our species and our planet because I'm adding to the data ohm it's good for the data ohm it's not necessarily good for us so some part of me feels that perhaps just like we are we worry about our carbon footprint we should also think about our informational footprint in the world both for ourselves and for our species in a way we may be sort of sacrificing
0: ourselves to the data ohm through all this interaction
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I, it's it's you know and it can feel that way, right? It can feel like it's it's taking us over and it's not just the clever design of the algorithms by people at Facebook or whatever, it's there's something even bigger going on and just by knowing that perhaps we can find a way around some of the bigger problems. The book is takes on a challenging topic and so it has to touch on many many different scientific areas and there's a lot of history in the book and a lot of exploration of different ideas. You know, there's a certain irony to that. And I even acknowledge this at the back of the book that while I'm writing this book, I realize I'm contributing to the very thing that I'm writing about, uh, which is sort of interesting and, and uh, funny. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's a new way of thinking about the nature of ourselves. And perhaps it's some clues to the nature of life in general. Maybe the places elsewhere in the universe that also have data ohms and are also going through some of these same um, stages or have been through some of these same stages. And perhaps that's a way to improve the way we look for life elsewhere in the universe uh, by understanding it a little bit more.
0: Well, we were just talking with Dr. Caleb Scharf. He's the author of the new book, The Ascent of Information, Books, Bits, Genes, Machines, and Life's Unending Algorithm. Dr. Scharf, thank you so much for joining us today on the Grox Science Show. My pleasure. Great to talk to you.